0: Besides being obviously a lot of fun, I kind of think Soul Man is the perfect musical statement on Father's Day. If you think about it, of all of the jobs that a dad does after all, or really maybe even before all, before everything else, it's a dad that God has tasked, God has called fathers to protect, to promote, to cultivate The soul culture of the family. That's really our primary job. Of all of the roles that dads play, we're a a protector, we're a provider, we're a a coach or a counselor or a confidant, all of those things are really, really important, but, and say but, 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 all of those other roles are done in service to the primary role of cultivating the soul culture of the family. It is ultimately a phenomenal, phenomenal role that dads get to play uniquely in all of the world. And because of that, this is not a game for the faint of heart. I mean, there's a lot at stake when you talk about fatherhood. Now, I don't know what it's like in your family or maybe in the family that you grew up in, but in our family, dad, myself, I was the one who assisted Santa Claus when presents came from the North Pole marked some assembly required. I I was the one primarily who assisted the tooth fairy in in his or her rounds. How many of you think the tooth fairy is male? Can I just say, if you you think the tooth fairy is a guy, clap your hands. If you think the tooth fairy is female, clap your hands. It's interesting. Did you know? Nobody knows. I've Googled it. There is no documentation anywhere on the gender of the tooth fairy. But by the time Joe, our second born, came to tooth losing age, he had already watched his big sister collecting cash from the tooth fairy. And so when he lost that first tooth, he knew what was up. He he knew there's some cash coming my way. And so because I was there to help the tooth fairy, I said, Joe, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this tooth, still got a little blood on it. We're going to put it in a baggie so that we can put it under your pillow, and that baggie will help the tooth fairy find it when it's dark in your room and you're asleep at night. And if you'll put this under your pillow when you go to sleep tonight, when you wake up tomorrow morning, maybe, just maybe, there may be something there in its place. Joseph was so excited. He, I mean, he was geeked, and, and he got... Goes to bed, falls asleep, and and apparently, Julie and I were very, very tired that night. Because because we went to bed and we we, we woke up early the next morning before the sun was even up to Joseph, standing in the doorway of our bedroom, holding the bag (laughs) with the tooth still in it, holding the bag and holding back tears, and he said, It didn't work. (laughs) Julie, in her slumber and stupor, never skipped a beat. She said, oh, buddy, it's still nighttime. You need to go back to sleep, and I promise you, the tooth fairy will do his job. So as Joseph toddled off back to his room, I waited for him to get out of earshot, and I I just kind of looked over at Julie on the pillow, and I went, we do not deserve children. (laughs) The poor kid. But the good news is, Julie was, of course, exactly right. Joseph went right back to sleep, and sure enough, the tooth fairy did, in fact, show up to do his job. (laughs) We were very, very excited about that. Now... That's kind of a a fun, rather low-impact example of the fact that the dad game is not for the faint of heart, of the fact that the dad game is hard. If you're doing it right, it's hard. It's it's heart-wrenching. It's humbling. It's it's one of those things that that you, you realize you can't do it. Alone, You can't do it on your own. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the reasons that God created woman. Mothers, of course, have a similar role in the family, but it's different. It's, it's distinct. But if you'll remember, it was when man was alone in the Garden of Eden that, that God looked in and he goes, this ain't good. He, brother's going to need some help. And so thank God he gave us woman. But, but the fact of the matter is, the fatherly role, the role of dad in the lives of his children, is in fact a holy, holy calling. And that's actually why for some of us in the room today, maybe Father's Day is not always a massive celebration. You know, for for some of us in this room, our dads didn't exactly set the woods on fire relationally and spiritually and fulfill all of the roles and responsibilities that God intended them to fulfill. And believe me when I tell you, I get it. My my dad was, was a great Phenomenal father from the time I was born until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And then I don't know what it was that, that kind of snapped, but when I was 12, he hit the eject button. He left my mom, left my brothers and me, and, and it was really just a strange thing given his history. When we were kids and little kids, man, I remember he was a fair disciplinarian. We had fun. We took vacations together. He, he worked hard. All of those things that, that every dad does, but at some point, he checked out and you, you may have a story with, with similar tentacles to it, maybe different circumstances and situations, but it's in those instances when, when our earthly fathers maybe didn't fulfill that divinely appointed role that we have to kind of redouble our efforts. We have to make a conscious decision that we're going to not allow our, father, our earthly fathers' failures to cloud our picture of our heavenly father. You know, we, we understand what it's like to get, a, to get the, the fatherhood focus a little fuzzy in our lives, but we also have to understand that what we have to do is step back and allow what God has revealed about himself through scripture, through his son, Jesus Christ. That has to be the thing that we use to understand who he is and then to understand earthly fatherhood rather than allowing our earthly father's failures to kind of fuzzy that focus of fatherhood. We have to reverse engineer our understanding. And that's really a perfect place to begin this morning. As we continue this series, it really falls in line with where we've been over the last few weeks as a church. We've been in this series called Staying Power, and the fact that there's a certain power and authority and energy that God cultivates within us when we stay. It's not just the power to stay. It's the power that comes from staying. And throughout this series, we used the biblical lens of the life of Joshua. Joshua, of course, was the heir apparent, the successor to Moses. Moses, who had received the Ten Commandments from God, had talked to God face to face and led Israel out of Egyptian slavery, but it was Joshua It was Joshua that God appointed and anointed to lead Israel into the promised land, to lead them into the the prosperity and the peace that he had guaranteed going generations back to when he had first made the covenant with Abraham and seen it perpetuated through Isaac and on and on and on through Moses, taking them out of Egyptian slavery, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but now they're about to enter into the Promised Land that God has given to them, and we're going to take the, the narrative out of order a little bit today. We, we've kind of been following along, but today we're going to we're going to kind of skip to the end because at the end of Joshua's life, there is this this moment. It's really it's really kind of a, a monument moment where where Joshua is reminding Israel who they are and what it means to live in the covenant relationship with God that they were called to live in and. Joshua 23 and 24 is kind of his valedictory address. It's his farewell to Israel, and he's, he's reminded them of God's faithfulness down through the centuries and the generations. But in Joshua chapter 24, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Joshua 24, there is this incredible, very, very simple, unambiguous, declarative statement that Joshua makes in order to help Israel understand how they are to live in the promised land. Look at what he says in Joshua 24, 15. He says, you can do whatever you want to do, but, everybody say but. But, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You, you, you can choose to follow all of the, the gods that, that the people we've just vanquished worship, but let me tell you where my household, where, where I i am going to plant my flag. Joshua says, I- I'm going I'm to own this. As for me and my family, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, that, that's obviously a, a powerful pronouncement. That, that's this incredible declaration of his devotion and dependence upon God. But I think it's really, really important that we, we look beneath the superficial veneer, that we we really and truly examine what's going on there because not only is Joshua saying, this is what we're going to do, he's also stepping into and, and, and owning the responsibility that God has called not just Joshua, but actually every single father, every dad who is in fact a soul man in their home. This is what we're called to. This this is the job. This is the task at hand. When he says, as for me and my family, Joshua is kind of stepping into that responsibility. He's going, look, I understand that my responsibility is the the spiritual ecosystem, the the environment within my family, and and I will own that. And that's the job of a dad. That's what soul man is is all about, that a father, every father, not just a pastor, not just a Joshua, but every dad owns that responsibility and says, no matter what else we do, no matter what other winds may blow, no matter what other rains may fall, no matter what the neighbors are doing or saying, whatever happens, my family and I, we will serve the Lord. And that means that there are going to be times when we're going to be different. That, that, you know, I, I think every one of us wants to make a difference. Every one of us wants to make an impact. But from the oldest to the youngest, not a lot of people want to be different. A, a lot of people want to make a difference, but they don't want to be different. And, and the reality is if, if you're going to make a difference in your family, in your neighborhood, and community, in the world, you're going to have to live different. You're you're going to have to make choices that are different. And that's what Joshua is saying here. He's saying no matter what else happens, we will serve the Lord. No matter what other people worship, no matter where other people go, no matter what other people do or say, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. Now, I think it's funny because a lot of times as dads, the fact of the matter is, when you take a stand like that, it, it can be a little bit lonely. I mean, dads, how many of you know that sometimes fatherhood can be a little bit lonely? Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, three of y'all, thank you so much for your honesty. It's terrible for you to leave the pastor hanging like that. Some of you are sitting there, honey, I don't know what he's talking about. I've never felt lonely with you by my side. I mean, sometimes it just is, that there were times when when I would discipline, Emily or Joe, and and Julie would say, oh, she didn't understand, he didn't mean it, he didn't, and I'm like, hey, look, baby, I'm not, I don't care what they understood or what they thought, he was just rude to you, she was was ugly and snotty, we're not raising snotty kids, their motives, interesting and irrelevant, (laughs) There, there was one time I remember, I was kind of course correcting Joseph, I was disciplining him, and I don't even remember what it was about, he was a little guy, and, and I kind of got down in his kitchen a little bit, I didn't yell, no spank, nothing, Just I was just kind of, I was like, hey, Joe, I better not ever see you do that, and you know, isn't it amazing how kids, even the purest, purest kids are so manipulative sometimes, how many of y'all know kids can be manipulative, can I just see, it? yeah, thank you very much. Man, they, they know exactly what buttons to push. Well, I got down in Joseph's face, and like I said, he was a little guy. I said, hey, bud, let me tell you something. I better never hear you, whatever it was. He started, Daddy, you're scaring me. <laughs> I, was just, I just wanted to say to him, bruh, I ain't even started yet. He goes, Daddy, you're scaring me. I said, Good. Next time you think about acting like that, remember this moment. (laughs) But then, you know what? It was just a few hours later. We were were back hanging out. We were were watching ESPN, I think, and we were sitting there side by side, and I had my arm around him. I went, hey, Hoss, remember when when Dad was mad at you a little earlier and we we had a conversation? Yes, sir. (laughs) I said, hey, remember when you said that I was scaring you? Yes, sir. I said, Joe, have I ever done anything to hurt you? Have you ever seen me do anything, even when I was mad or angry, that made you feel unsafe? No, sir. I said, that's right. So don't pull that junk with me ever again about me scaring you. Yes, sir. But you see how in that moment, it was a unique opportunity for me to remind him, not only that I love him, but I like him. I'm, I'm in favor of him. What I'm doing as a dad is for his benefit. I'm not there to, to scare him. Now, let me, let me quickly admit to you, freely, there, there were times when I would lose it as a dad. I mean, I, w- I would yell, like, what are you thinking? Have you ever said, how many of you have ever said that to your child? What are you thinking? Can I just see... This is is great. Here's the great thing about it. Did you know that as adolescents, the word adolescent means half child, half adult? And what typically happens, what usually happens is when we treat our kids like an adult, they act like a child. When we treat them like a child, they want to be treated like an adult. It's recipe for disaster. (laughs) But physiologically, there's a physiological fact that the, the sheath that connects the right sphere of our brain to the left sphere of our brain during adolescence doesn't even work. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that that adolescents aren't smart. They they can be brilliant, but that just means that they can be clueless at times. And so when we say to them, what are you thinking? Our question has a faulty premise. They're not thinking. They can't. They're either in one side of the brain or the other, but never two at the same time. (laughs) It's That's why you can have a five-year-old who is so with it and so together, but when they turn (laughs) fifteen, something shiny. I mean, you're just like, what in the world? That's a biological, physiological fact. But as a father, as our as a father, our job is to cultivate that spiritual ecosystem. That 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 spiritual biosphere where our family's primary priority, ultimate priority, is faith. How powerful we are collectively, how gifted and called we are individually, that is a dad's primary responsibility, and and it can be lonely, and there are a lot of cultural tides and waves crashing against that priority. But just because we can be lonely and it doesn't mean that we can abdicate that responsibility. You know, in 1933, Adolf Hitler became the chancellor of Germany. And, and of course, with the benefit of historical hindsight, we know what happened between 33 and 1939 and 40 when Great Britain and the United States got into World War II. But What a lot of people don't know is that there were a lot of cultural and historical tides crashing on the shores that were pointing towards World War II and the the Holocaust. And, And there actually was one guy in England. England was decidedly pacifist at this time. They had just come out of World War I. There was a worldwide economic depression going on, not only here in the States, but in Europe as well, and people wanted no part of any armed conflict, but there was one guy, one kind of voice crying in the wilderness in England. He was a, an author, he was a journalist and a statesman, and he had been very, very carefully studying the historical tides. He had been checking out and marking Hitler's rise to power in Germany and the German nationalism and resentment that had come out of the treaties that were signed at the end of World War I that imposed such heavy, heavy reparations on the nation of Germany. And this one guy throughout the 1930s when nobody wanted a part of stemming the tide, when when Hitler was really kind of seen just as a a flash in the pan, here today, gone tomorrow kind of political phenomenon in Germany, one guy, one guy stood up and said, no. This is absolute evil. This is absolutely demonic, and it must be stopped. And that's why in 1939, Winston Churchill was returned to the government of Great Britain as the prime minister. And as the prime minister, it was Churchill who who rallied the resistance of England alone in the world against Germany. It was Churchill who said, we will not ever bow to Hitler And fascism, no matter how close it comes. we've got a quote from Churchill about this very thing. He said, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And now, Hitler was far from, I mean, I'm sorry, Churchill. Churchill was far from perfect. He was absolutely a flawed vessel, but thank God that he was where he was at that point in history, that when the United States wouldn't even get into World War II, it was Churchill in England who stood up and said, we shall never surrender. I think that is a great, great paternal dad mantra to say, we will fight for our family's faith. We shall fight our children's future we will be the tip of the spear spiritually that God has called us to be and we will never ever surrender our family's future to the fads and the whims and the tides of culture and what's going on around us we will fight as fathers that's our job that's what we're called to and that's that's what this is all about Joshua was a warrior he was a fighter. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a warrior, that we are called to fight for our families, that we're called to stand up when nobody else will do it. We're called into this war, this battle for the future of our children, for our families. And that's what's going on here. It's it's not tiddlywinks. It's not any of those kind of things. It is a big, big deal. And I think it might be tempting, it, it could be easy to, to take this, this declaration from Joshua 24 that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but in order for us to do that, we've got to be willing, we've got we've to have a, a more profound understanding, a, a deeper understanding of why the fatherhood game matters as much as it does. And I think for us to get at that, we've got to understand who God is. In light, not just of what he did with Israel, but, but also in light of the New Testament. Because the fact of the matter is you, you can't understand God the Father without also seeing his relationship to God the Son. When you understand God's relationship with Christ and, and what he accomplished, what he did in and through the life of Jesus, then you understand the reality of, of what fatherhood really, really looks at. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Galatians chapter number 4. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, Bible says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman who was subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. I, w- I want you to say the word Abba. Say Abba. Abba. Abba is a critical, critical word. And, and it's not just a great band from Sweden. <laughs> Abba is a word in the original language that Jesus spoke, which was Aramaic. The word Abba it is a word that we don't really have an English correlation to. There, you know, we've got father or dad or daddy, something like that, pops. But, but in the Aramaic culture, in that, in that world in which Jesus lived, the word Abba carries with it significance that, that goes beyond just a biological connection. The word Abba has two really primary components to it. The first component, and I think probably the most important, or at least the first one that has to be established, is the, the paternal component of affection. Affection. When, when, you, when you talk to your father, or I, you know, when you, when you talk, when I talk to my father-in-law, Julie's dad, I, you know, I, I don't call him dad, but but there's this affection between us. When you talk to your dad, you, you may call him dad or pops or daddy, but there's this thing where... There's an affection that flows between father and child. That, that's hooked up in that. Now, it's important to remember that as parents, it's never our job to be our kids' friends. You know, I, that, I, I love it when people say, I just want to be friends with my kids. And it, listen, I understand where that comes from, and I believe it comes from a good place. There's just one little problem with that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Smart people, really smart people say that sometimes. And it is so counterproductive, it is so damaging to the parent-child relationship for for us to act and discipline and behave and choose and speak in a way to try and earn our kids friendship. (laughs) They'll, They'll have plenty of friends, they only get one set of parents. so. Now, it's not important that my kids like me all the time. If they do from time to time, that's great. But what is mission critical is that my kids, that your kids know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we like them, that that we're in favor of them, That, that everything we do, every move that we make, every action that we take, all of it, is because we have their best interests in mind. You know who I learned this from? My wife. Julie did this. Especially, she did it especially when our kids were little, but I remember watching her with Joe. As Joe was growing up and, and getting older in life, he, he used to love, he still does loves ESPN. He, he could capture every single statistic from a SportsCenter episode. I didn't even have to watch. I just go, hey, Joe, how many did LeBron have last night? Boom, he'd have it. Well, Julie doesn't really care about ESPN or professional sports or college. She likes it. It's fine. But she doesn't really care. But she knew Joseph cared about it. So she would sit there with him enraptured with ESPN. Oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. Did you know that Nick Saban's dad was a coal miner? I didn't. Joe, that's so fascinating. What did they just say about how Clemson and, and Dabo Sweeney lived with his mom and when he was in college at Alabama? That's interesting. She, was, she would sit there and go through that for hours with him. She did that because she knew it mattered to Joe. She, she would watch Phineas and Ferb <laughs> until her eyes were bloodshot. Because the kids liked it. And what happens is when you engage in stuff that your kids like, they feel, they decide that you like them. And when they know that we like them, affection and affinity is the bedrock. That's the beginning of trust. When they know that we like them and their best interests are what we're after— Then they will trust us. They may not like everything that we do when we discipline them or course correct. They're probably not going to. But at least they know behind it all is our prayer, our desire for their best interest to experience everything God has created them to experience. So affection is a big part of it. But but there's a second part tied to the word Abba. And that is the word confidence. So there's, there's affection But there's also confidence that our kids know they can rely on us. Our kids know dad's not going anywhere. Dad's in it to win it. I am here for it, period. And so when when we draw the line as as dad, maybe as a disciplinarian from time to time, when we draw that line, we're going to hold the line. We're not going anywhere. We don't have to yell about it. We, We don't have to, you know, lose and snap and get all twitchy we just go, oh, no, we're, we're not going to act like that. You, you, can't, you can't talk to your mom like that. I'm so sorry that you chose to do that. Now you're not going to be able to eat for a week. <laughs> or, or whatever the appropriate response in your household may be. I used to tell our kids, go, look, I want you to understand something. I chose her. You just showed up. So if it comes down to it, do with that what you will. But when we, we draw the line and then we hold the line, founded and based on that foundation of genuine affection and concern for them, and that's when that's when the that's when the dad magic happens. That, that's, when, that's when they start to understand, wait, this, this isn't, this is not just playing around. This is for real. And when they understand that we as fathers are not just playing around, then we've established a foundation where they can discover that, that God is reliable, that his personality and his character are perfect, that he is uniquely good and true, that that he loves perfectly. And what happens is the more we point our kids toward God, the more his perfection covers over our imperfection. And hopefully and prayerfully, deliberately, we're, we're partnering with the tribe, the family of faith, the church to, to see our kids make their own relationship with Christ a, pr- a priority. And when they when they get ready to leave home, yes, we hope they get into the right college. Man, if they can go to school or get a good job when they get out of high school or, or when they go to college, maybe maybe they can get a good roommate or or maybe they they do Greek and you know fraternity sorority whatever. That's fine. But man, when they leave my house, I want them them looking for a a family of faith, for a church that they can connect into, that they can be a part of. and They're not going to just go to church, they're going to be the church because they've seen it. They've developed that muscle memory in my household so that it'll become a reality in their household, in their lives, something that'll carry them when I'm no longer around, when you're no longer around. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and and we will collectively, we will collectively call out to him, prompted by the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father, in in affection and in confidence in who he is. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. For just a moment, I, I want to ask you on this Father's Day weekend to just... Consider for a second your perspective or your concept of God as Father. How good is it? I don't necessarily mean just how accurate, but I mean, do you know that God is good? Do you know for a fact that God loves you unconditionally no matter what? And that God like a like a loving father guides and directs and sometimes that direction means a course correction because we all get off course from time to time. Because that's the truth. That's the reality of who God is. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that reality, if you're not currently living in that reality, we want to invite you to start. Just just begin right where you are. God loves us enough to meet us right where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there. If you want to begin, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. Just silently in your spirit, talk to God right now. Just silently say to him, God, I need you. I need you to be that perfect father in my life. The one who will never fail, the one who never lets go. Jesus, I I believe that you died on the cross for me. I choose to believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for me. And Jesus, I accept. I accept your forgiveness, all of it. I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But if that was your prayer, the man, this is in a very real way, this is the first Father's Day of your life. The first time that you have owned that you've accepted God as father. So it's a big deal. As a church, we want to we help with this moment. We want to make sure that it transcends this moment, that it goes beyond this moment. So we want to come alongside and help in whatever way works for you, at, at whatever pace works for you. And so if you would, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, take the program that you got when you came in today. And when you open it up, you'll see there's a thing called connect card. If you just fill that out and about halfway down that card, you'll notice there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. If you'll just fill out that card, tear it off at the perforation, and before you leave, hand it to one of our ushers or our hosts so that we can begin being a family with you, a family of faith. And as you're filling that out, our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand, just just hold it up over your head for a second. And by raising your hand, you you make a, a physical statement about the spiritual commitment. And that's a big deal. And so as a church, as a family of faith with you and around you, we honor that and we celebrate that. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together just tell you welcome home and welcome to the family. Welcome home and welcome to the family.